Um, we've been talking about the possibility of the victorious life and how we can actually be victorious. And last week we tried to get an idea of what that would look like. What it would look like for you and I to walk in victory. What it would look like for us to actually have that victory in our lives, right? 1 John 5 verse 4 says this, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. All right, so this victory is going to be by faith. By the way, if you just go to John chapter uh, 12, go to John chapter 12. I'll read you the verses up to that point, uh, and then we'll look at John. And the Bible is full of promises of the victorious life. God never intended for you and I uh, to live this Christian life just as a way of life. We're saved and we live this uh, this way of life. What he intended for us to have, he intended his spirit to work in and through us so that we would overcome in the Christian life. Way too often what we do is we accept something way down low for our Christianity and we don't expect and we don't accept that God's doing something great. God wants, God wants you to live victoriously. He doesn't want you to live with the chains that you had before you were saved. He wants to set you free and he wants, to, he wants you to live a life of victory. In John 7 verse 37, Jesus stood and cried. Let me read it for, for you. <clears throat> um, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, we spent a long time on it last week, so we're not going to go over all of it again. But here's the, here's the point. Rivers of living water. You're talking about abundance here. You're not talking about hanging in there. You're talking about an abundant life. That's the life God had, has planned for you. And um, um, he, he said too in John 10 verse 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So what he wants for you and I is to have a life that's much more than you could have in the flesh. That's much more than you could do in yourself. He wants you to have a life that is abundant. He wants you to enjoy his presence and to live that life. Now, how are you going to have that kind of a life? Let me ask you a question. First of all, we'll pray, and then I'll ask you the question. Father in heaven, would you bless us tonight? Lord, we want you we want this abundance. We want the rivers of living water. We want the victory the Bible talks about. Lord, we want to live in that reality. Lord, would you help us in these days to unravel those things that would hold us back, that would draw us back from that. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, look into our hearts and deal with us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so you're going to help me tonight, and um, you, you're going to tell me what's the obstacle to you enjoying abundance. What's the obstacle to you enjoying this life that we've been talking about last week? What would stand in your way and hinder you from enjoying that? Farina. Sin. Sin. Sin is definitely something that's going to stand between us and God. It is going to hinder us. And God has made provision for that in Romans chapter 6. He's dealt with that issue. We'll get there. We're not going to go there tonight, but we will get there. Sure. Unbelief. Unbelief. 
When we looked at the, the, the first verse we looked at in John 5, 4 says, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory of, that overcometh the world, even our faith. Without faith, you can't have anything from God. A.W. Tozer said that faith is the vitamin without which we can't get anything from God. We need to trust him. Don, you your hand up. Living in the past. That's definitely going to, going to hinder us, right? <clears throat> Anybody else? Huh? We, stand in the way. we stand in the way. That's the one I'm looking for, actually, DL, right? <laughs> All the others are right, too, but that's the one I'm looking for, right? Temptation. Temptation. Yeah, well, temptation. It's, it's not really the temptation that stands in the way. It's the temptation that we give in to. That, that, that gets us. But yes, definitely, right? Now, D said, yourself. Uh, I was listening to a podcast today, and it was not a spiritual podcast. It was just somebody who was talking about, um, it, was, it was actually a health program, right? And he was talking about how he, how he gets athletes up to peak health, right? And he said, when he sits down with people, he asks them, what do you think the problem is? And they will go all around the world. And then what he does is he looks them in the eye and he says, you're the problem. And I think, well, it's very true. Now, spiritually, it's more true than you and I care to understand. We're the problem. We stand in our own way. We hinder ourselves from this victory. And the Bible answer to you getting in your way as far as this victory is concerned is that you have to die. Now, we don't like that. Um, um, Trumbull, in his little book... <clears throat> on victory said, respectable people need victory over themselves and pet sins. Faith does nothing. Faith lets God do it all. One qualification that we must have for the victorious life is the broken pinion, the broken nature, utmost weakness. That's a horrible thought, isn't it? I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong. We don't want to admit weakness. We, we want to be strong. But if we're going to have victory, we have to recognize our absolute weakness. The problem is it's totally at odds with everything the world teaches us. The world teaches us, if you want it, you can have it. You can think it and you can believe it. You, you, you can actually have it. <clears throat> but that's not biblically true. Now, to our text tonight, John chapter 12. Uh, verse 23, John chapter 12 and verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Right? And he's going to say, uh, he's about to go to the cross, right? <clears throat> um, uh, he's, he, he's about to give himself for us. Right? And so he's going to tell them a truth for them, and then he's going to actually demonstrate it for them in a very physical way. All right? So he says this, Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am there also shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. 
Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify their, thy name. And then uh, his father <clears throat> speaks of him there. But let's, let's kind of tease our way through this here. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Now, did, did, did you ever see a seed, a corn seed or, or a wheat seed or a, even a barley seed? You have a little barley seed, and it's a very beautiful thing all of itself. It's got this lovely, you know, golden color, and, and it has a beauty all of its own. But do you know that as long as the little seed, as long as that corn stays beautiful and looks good, that's all it'll ever be, one corn. In order for that corn to die, if you remember from your biology classes back all the way, right? You know, the, you know the experiment, they give you a seed and you planted the seed. What happened to the seed when you planted the seed? Because you, you would actually see it, because you would dig it up. If you're like me, you would dig it up to have a look at it a few times, right? What happened to the seed when you, when you, when you planted the seed in that moist, warm earth? Well, first of all, a little tendril came shooting through the top of it. And, and, and then one went shooting down through the bottom of it. And what they did was they cracked that lovely golden corn. And in fact, the golden corn died, ceased to exist. It was over. It was finished for it. Right? And so it died. And then what happened was this seed began to grow and it produced fruit. And some say you can have 500 corns from one corn. 500, 500 from, from one, you can actually have 500. But where's the one we started off with? It's gone. It's finished. It's history. It's over. Now that's what we don't like. We don't like the idea of <clears throat> us being gone. We have a life. We want this life. We want to hold on to it for all we're worth. And um, we don't like the idea of our life being gone. We want this life. Now, let's think about it for a minute. How good has this life been for you? But we'd have to be honest, wouldn't we? It's not all bad. Some things about the world are fun. We're not daft enough to do the things we do if it wasn't fun at some level. Right? <clears throat> so kind of some things, some, some things are fun, but, but where has it left you? What has it done for you in the end? What has self, what has holding on to this life of yours done for you? What is making it precious and it's my life and I own it and I have to have it? What has that done for you in the end? Anyone want to help me here? It left you empty. So you hold on, and you end up empty. And empty is kind of the best possible scenario. It can often be a whole lot worse than that. It can leave you wishing you didn't have a life. You know, you hold on to it, and you end up wishing you didn't have a life at all, wishing you could get a, escape it, wishing you could get away from it. And what's the problem? You're holding on to it. My life. I'm holding on to it. I, I want it. Now, you see, 
that was kind of fine before you were saved. Because at some level it was true. Your life. The only life you're going to have. But that's not at all fine <clears throat> once you become a believer. See, before you were saved, I mean, it's amazing. If you, if you listen to people talking, you'll hear, these, you'll hear these phrases all the time. You only live once. I heard somebody say, I, this guy actually in the, in the podcast I was listening to, somebody said, you only live once. Right? Which is true on this earth. But it's not even the beginning of the story for us. Right? Oh, by the way, when somebody says to you, you only live once, what are they saying to you? Enjoy it while you can. You're going to be dead. So enjoy it while you can. Hold on to this life. What about this one? Um, follow your heart. Do whatever makes you happy. Are we, are we told that? It's really interesting to me how often that comes across. But if you're not happy, just change it. If you're not happy in your marriage, change husbands. If you're not happy in your job, change jobs. It's just change it. That's what the world says. Right? Um, follow your heart. You deserve to be happy. Now, let me ask you that question. Do you deserve to be happy? Oh, you want to say yes, don't you? <laughs> you want to say yes to that. You want to say you deserve to be happy. No, but, but hang on a minute. Do you deserve to be happy? Yeah. What, would, what would lead you to believe that you deserve to be happy? Okay, the devil's life in the garden. That you, you know, that um, you know, if, if you do what he says, you're going to be happy. Yeah, that's good, Vincent. Sorry. Yes. Burger King is great. I don't know if they do the Burger King ad anymore. Remember, Burger King's big deal was your way. You can have it your way, right? So, but do you deserve to be happy? By the way. The things that actually unhinge your spiritual life are what's going on in your head. Because I deserve to be happy, therefore I'm not happy, therefore I can do this because it's going to make me happy. And yet that's that. So do you deserve to be happy? Alex? Yes, because Jesus said he wants to get to the Okay, good point. Jesus wants to go like one. Now, here's our question. This is what we were dealing with last week. We, we probably need to keep dealing with it. What would life of London look like? I mean, if we went out there on the street and asked people what would life of London look like, we got all kinds of answers. We? One guy would say, and then the supply was. You know, there are people out there that would say that. Right? Somebody else might say, oh, just an everlasting car that you can stick it in that hole in the wall and it'll just be sticking out notes. That would make I miss that. I probably need to miss that. Somebody else, you know, would tell us um, all kinds of pleasure for the rest of your life. Now, if that's your idea of a fun life, what's the problem? It's got a hole in it. You know, how much risky would it take to make somebody happy? And the possible to make a question. Right? No, it's a good idea. 
Quindi non vado da questi Now listen, Alex, if you're going to wreck my head tonight. <laughs> yes, go on, ask your question. So how 
could we construe that as being an abominable life? How could we look at that as being an abominable life? Because that's not key for us. Let's, somebody read for us Galatians 5, 22 and 22. Who's going to read it for us? While we're on there, let's talk about what, what Rory said. Rory's not going to die for us. There's this amazing verse in Hebrews. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12. And it says this. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I don't know how you can look endure the cross and joy in the same sentence. I, mean, I don't know how it's possible. But it's there. So that doesn't mean that the cross was a, in, in itself was a joy to him, because it wasn't. But the, there was joy in the cross because who's going to save us? So that, that's not my kind of abundance. I, I, I want a different kind of abundance, don't you? And you see, if we get this abundance thing wrong, we end up in a place where we're looking for the wrong thing. And the danger with that is that when we can't find it in Christ, because we're not happy, because it's not working out, because we're not feeling fulfilled, all we do is go to the world. <laughs> and we get something. Okay, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no love. Okay, love, joy, peace. Did Jesus always exhibit love, joy, peace? He did. Always. Long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith. That's actually, that's actually a description of Jesus. That's pretty special. Now, here's the thing. If you could always have love, joy, peace going on, in spite of the fact that you have troubles in your life, would you have abundance? Yeah. It doesn't mean the absence of troubles. Abundance means that in spite of the troubles, I have love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There's something going on inside me. There's something going on that, that is just special, and it's an abundance that's going on. So, you see, it's really important that we understand that, because we have to look in the right place. We look in the wrong place, we're snookered. But what happens is we look in the wrong place, we're, we're feeling like God has failed us, and he hasn't. But if we look in the right place, another verse this morning, my devotions to, uh, in Hebrews, and it said this, uh, it says that, Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Now, how you teach Jesus anything, I don't know. <laughs> his humanity, I suppose you could. But here's the point that caught me. Do you know, suffering is not wasted. It's not nothing. There's actually a learning process in it. And what's the end of your learning process? Growth to make you like what? What 
would it look like if you or I were, you and I were full grown on the stage? What would we look like? Fun? With a blood joy peace going on. Now, so here's the thing. You and I have something inside us that's um, not helping us at all. And God says, I want you to surrender. I want you to die to yourself so that I can replace it with something that's much better. But we say, I'm not sure. I like me. I like my life. That's my life. And nobody can take it away. And God won't. He won't force you to give up. But, but, but what will happen for you is if you hold on to it, our passage says you'll lose it. We don't know how to You know, you've held on to it all. You wanted it for you. You wanted this life. And you have to put it in hands. In your corner of wheat. Your corner of wheat, you've got to put the corner of wheat, you've got to, you got to make a hard decision. I mean, don't put me on. And I do for corner of wheat, so go on the ground, go on the And when you put the corner of wheat down, you watch it make moves. And, and, and eventually, it gives you much more than you sacrifice. Right? But if you hold on to your corner of wheat, let's say you, 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 know, you put it on the mantelpiece <coughs> at home. And you put them in the glass case. And, and, and you look at your corner wheat. I know it's ridiculous, right? But, but, but I go with me on the story, right? Uh, and, you, and you look at it there, and, it, and it's in the glass case. And one day you're going to open it, what's going to find inside of it? It's gone. It's finished, it's rotted, it's dried up, and it's no longer going to wake, and it's no longer worth anything. That's what happens when you hold on to your life. When you say it's my life, I don't know it. What happens is it trickles up and you lose it anyway. So here's the thing. Yeah, you don't lose your life one way or the other. If you give it to God, it's going to produce much more. If you hold on to it, you lose it. says that it's not your life anyway. What know ye not that you're not your own? You're bought with a price. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ bought me on the cross. Why? Because I was on my way to hell. I had no hope. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there was no way out for me. I was living my own life and doing my own thing. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and he paid the price for me. And... <clears throat> He bought me, so he says, it's not your life anymore. Paul says <clears throat> that, that we need to understand, um, <clears throat> for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, and they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So here's what we need to catch. A victorious life is a life lived for Christ not self. That means your flesh is denied. 
Your dreams, goals, and ambitions are denied. You're denied. It's not about me. Now, folks, that's not something we want to do. And that's our problem. We can't enjoy victorious life, the abundant life, because we want it to be our life, and we want to control it, and we want to be happy in it, and we want to <clears throat> enjoy it. And we are terribly suited to actually making life work by ourselves. We're bad. We are bad at it. Yeah. <clears throat> You, you, you can go into addiction. But do you realize there's all kinds of addictions out there? Some people are addicted to making money. Some people are addicted to working for work's sake. You know, you can get addicted to absolutely anything under the sun. Something that makes you feel good, that, that fills the need uh, inside. You can become addicted to it. And it's always disaster in your life. It's always a disaster in your life. <clears throat> but what you've got to do is you've got to give up your life. And you've got to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm putting it in your hands. You take it and you do what you want with it. It's not my life anymore. It's your life. You take it and, 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 and you can do whatever you like with it, Lord. And there's, there's that feeling of, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm giving it all up. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Keep your finger there in John, because we'll come back to John, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the way, these are great verses to memorize. Many of you already have them in your head, but you get these in your head, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, the interesting thing about a living sacrifice is not dead sacrifice. Dead sacrifices we know, you know what I mean? If, if somebody was coming to the priest uh, with a sacrifice, they could bring a chicken that was dead, and they handed the chicken over to the priest, and the priest took the chicken, and now, effectively, as far as they were concerned, it was God's, the priest was in control. They were no longer in control of their chicken. Right? What he says, he wants you to present yourself a living sacrifice. And it's a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. So what you're doing is, you're saying, Lord, I'm yours, now my life is yours, whatever you want. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever kind of life you want me to have, Lord, Lord, I'm yours, I'm giving myself to you. Right? Now, <clears throat> Let me stay there for a second. Let, let, me, let me put a question to you. How do you know what kind of a life God wants you to have? The biggest part of it is a no-brainer. It's the life he's put before you, doing the right thing right now. That's the kind of a life he wants you to have right now. No brain. There's no, there's no great soul searching and stargazing trying to work it out. No, it's doing exactly what God has told you to do right now. Say you're in the men's home. God put you in the men's home. What does, what does being a living sacrifice look like? 
It's like you're doing exactly what God wants you to do right now. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard, because you don't want to do what you're told. Nobody else do what they're told. You want to go your way and, and, and do your own thing. But it's not just about you going through a program. It's about you doing what God would have you to do. What about you and you're in a situation, uh, you have a relationship that's, that's um, <clears throat> causing you grief and trouble. Maybe the boss at work is picking on you. Right? And uh, he, he's just giving you a hard time and he's picking on you, but you know you're supposed to be there. What does presenting your body a living sacrifice look like? Doing what you're supposed to be doing. Maybe your marriage is not all you want it to be right now. What does presenting your body a living sacrifice look like? Doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, maybe your parents uh, you know, are giving you a hard time right now and they don't understand and all the rest of it. What does presenting yourself a living sacrifice look like? It looks like doing what you're supposed to be doing. The, the vast majority of presenting yourself a living sacrifice is a no-brainer. You know. And by the way, if you won't do what you know, why would God show you more? But why is he going to just show you more if you're not doing what you know you're supposed to be doing? It's surrendering your heart to him in the situation you're in right now. That's the vast majority of presenting your body a living sacrifice. And that's hard. <coughs> Because we all want to do our own thing. It's, it's the rebel nature, and we get it from our daddy, or our great-granddaddy, on the Satan side. We all want to do our own thing. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. We don't like surrendering ourselves at all. And, and we try and make a big divide there where you've got the secular part of life, and you've got the spiritual part of life, and, you know, this is just secular, and these people are... No. Do you know that most, most of God's will for your life is covered by the things he's just laid out very clearly for you to do? And if you will do those things, he can lead you into more. But if you won't do those things, he can't lead you into more, and you're going to wreck anyway. You're not going to have love, joy, peace going on, because you, though you don't want to see it this way, you're actually having a controversy with God. You say, no, I, I, I don't agree with this. I don't, I don't want to do this. And your controversy is with God. And when you have a controversy with God, you're not going to enjoy abundance. You're not going to enjoy victory. You're not going to be rivers of living water. You've got to give that up. You've got to let go of that in your heart because if you hold on to your life, what's going to happen is you're going to just be a torment to yourself and everybody around you. Right? So present your body a living sacrifice. That's the first part of it. Just give in to God. Don't, don't, don't make it all about people. Just give in to God. Right? <clears throat> By the way, don't even make it about the devil. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You, know, <clears throat> you just give in. You, you, you just give in to God. If you keep giving in to God, you'll be fine. When you fight God, you're in trouble. You're always in trouble. When we fight God, it never, never goes well. So you present your body a living sacrifice, right? Um, holy 
acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is it holy, by the way? Why is this living sacrifice holy? Well, yes, but why is, we're talking about your life, presenting it to God, holy, <coughs> acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, because Jesus made it holy. Jesus has done something. He has given you a righteousness that's not yours. He has made the sacrifice holy. Now give it up. Give it to him. <clears throat> holy, acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because he died for me. That's not just, you know, a theological uh, thought. That's a reality. He died for me. Nobody else ever died for me. Now, if he died for me, then it's reasonable for me to present my body a living sacrifice. Stop fighting it. Stop trying to make reasons why you shouldn't do that. Right? And then be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, so <clears throat> you're not to be conformed to the world, but you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What, is, what do you think that looks like? How are you going to get a transformed mind? Yeah. But, but by reading the Bible and letting God speak for himself. God's great at speaking for himself. What God wants to do is God wants to, uh, to remote into you through the word and he wants to change the way you think so that you begin to think biblically. You begin to think his way. See, the world has its own plan, its own way, and it's going in its own direction. But God wants you and I to let him in so that he will actually teach us how to think. All right, now let's, let's, let's take, it, take it back to one of the things we just talked about. Right? Do you deserve to be happy? What does the Bible say? Did God put you on this earth to be happy? Hang on, hang on, no, no. Abundant life, yes. Happy? Happy is so that everything works out for you and everything's nice and good for you. Did God put you on this earth to be happy? No. What did he put you on this earth for? Why are you here? I know you guys came because they makes you come. Right? <laughs> but, but why are you here? To worship God, to glorify God. That's your purpose. That, that, that's what you're here for. You're not here for you at all. You're, you're here to bring glory to Him. So, bringing glory to Him is not necessarily going to make you happy. It's not necessarily going to make you rich. It's not necessarily going to make you healthy. It's not going to make, necessarily make you happy. Bringing glory to him is not necessary. That's not necessary. Your prime objective is to bring glory to him. Now, when you and I yield to him and get in line with that, we don't get happiness, we get abundance. We get a life that, that works in spite of the fact that it's difficult. We get a peace that passes under understanding. Everything about because I have peace that passes understanding. What would 
these are always asking all the standing. Well, I can't understand. Now, why can't you understand? Because you shouldn't have these. You should have, you should, the situation you're in is difficult and awkward, and you shouldn't have these, but you do have these. At least that's the understanding. You see, when you get yourself to God, and you let him in, instead of happiness, you get abundance. It's a whole different thing. So you, you, you can't, you, you can't, if you go after the wrong thing, you're going to be in trouble. And the only way you're going to know to go after the right thing is the word of God. It can't be you making it up in your mind or somebody else making it up in their mind uh, for you. It has to be the Word of God and the Spirit of God teaching you. Um, so let me make a, make a point for you here. Right? <clears throat> you need to be friends with your Bible. You need to make real good friends with your Bible. You need not to have Bible times because you've got to have devotions. You need to be friends with your Bible because you need to know your God. You, you need to come to the place where, 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 you, where you think in Bible terms. You need to come to that place because you need to know him. And we live in a world that's got our heads all messed up and you know we've, we've got all kinds of people telling us what to do and how to do it and what's right and what's wrong and so on. And, and if you don't have something to bring it back to, to say, no, hang on, here's what, the, here's what the truth is. You're never going to know. You, know. you need your mind transformed by the renewing of the word. Bible says the washing of the word. That's a great thing, the, the, the idea of the washing of the word. Did you ever go home and you were and you were, you'd been working in, you know, in, in muck and industry work and so on, and, and you get in the shower and all the filth gets washed off and it's there in the shower for a minute and, you're, and, you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you feel so good, don't you? Feel so good when you wash all that grime off yourself. And, and that's what the word of God does for you. Because you live in a world. You've got people in the world talking to you and t teaching you things to do and showing you ways to go. You've got to bring it back to the Word. What does the Word say? What does, what does the Bible say? Don't even take what I say for at face value. Go home and check it out. Go home and look at the Word and see, is, is that really true? I find I've got all kinds of ideas rolling around in my head that are not in Scripture because somebody told me. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's the work of a lifetime to actually get your mind transformed by the renewing of the word that the word of God speaks into you. Don't have like the Jews a second-hand, third-hand religion. Get it from God himself. Get the word and the spirit and walk with him and you will get to know him and that will change everything for you. See, if you're going to have abundance, it's not going to be your way. It's going to be his way. It's not going to be somebody else's way. It's going to be his way. You know, <clears throat> Hugh Daly was talking to some JWs. And, you know, your heart goes out to these people. They're, they're, out and they're, they're passing out leaflets and, and, and they're talking to people about rubbish. Now, I don't mean to be unkind when I say that, but it is rubbish. Now, why do they believe it? Because somebody told them. 
That's why. Because somebody told them. And you and I can do that too. You know, it's not supposed to believe because somebody told you. You're supposed to believe because the Word says. You're supposed to believe because God says. You're supposed to get in the Word. You're supposed to make friends with your Bible. How are you going to renew your mind? And by the way, it's, it's not a, you know, past tense thing. You know, well, I got saved in 1986, and by 1990, my mind was renewed. Listen, I'm living in a world that's constantly spewing stuff into my life and into my head. I need to go back to the Word all the time. Get my mind renewed, refreshed, cleansed. See things God's way. And you see, if you and I let God do that work of renewing our minds through his word, what happens is, first of all, we get kind of glimpse of glimpses of abundance. Some days we wake up and it feels pretty good. Still the same old life, same old you, same old body, same old problems, but it feels pretty good. And after a while, that can become second nature for you. That can become your norm. Not, not, not that, you don't, that you don't ever get it wrong, get in the flesh, do the wrong thing, and end up at odds with God. That's going to happen. He made the way out for that. You confess your sin. But what can happen for you is you can come to the place where the norm is you're yielded to him and you're constantly yielding to him and you're, the word of God is renewing your mind. And what's happening is you're living this good life. It's not all fun. It's not all the way you'd like it to be. But you know what? You kind of like it. It's not, it's not your plan. It's not what you, you expected. It's not what you set out to do. It's, it's him. And it's abundance. Let's finish here and then go back to John, John 12 and we're done, all right? Um, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, when the Holy Spirit piles up <clears throat> adjectives for us, he's trying to get a picture across to us, right? So he says, the will of God is good. It's acceptable. And it's perfect. It's full. Now, in order for us to yield ourselves to him, in order for us to give up our lives, we'd really have to believe that, wouldn't we? Because you're not dumb. You're not giving up your life, uh, you know, just on the basis of, uh, of somebody's word. You'd have to be convinced that you were giving it up for something better. It is. He says it's good. The will of God for your life is good. It's the best life. Right? Doing the will of God. Not doing, doing your own thing. But it's the best. It's, it's acceptable. Before you get saved, if somebody came into your life and said to you, now, once you get saved, you won't be able to do this and this and this and this and this and this, and this, you'd probably turn them over. Because you couldn't, you couldn't envisage giving up those things in your life. But then you get saved. And all of a sudden you're not doing this and you're not doing that and you're not doing the other and you are doing this and you are doing that and, and you're thinking, how did this happen? It's an acceptable rule of God. It doesn't look like it before you get saved, and the devil will do everything he can to keep you from it. But the reality is that when you get saved, God changes your heart. 
so that you want different things, so that you enjoy different things. So let's go, why do you hate your life? That's what things didn't go the way you thought you'd go wrong. Okay. The plan didn't work out. Yeah, it isn't wonderful when you're young and fresh and, oh man, everything is just dreamy and it's all going to work out and so on. And then you're going to start getting your mind. And then things begin to unravel and things don't go the way you expected them to go and there are problems and there are difficulties and so on. And here's, here's the reality. The reality is life in a broken world is empty without God. Now, you can mask it when you got some people out there doing an amazing job of masking it. But if you scrape deep enough, it's empty This is a broken world. You know, what he did was, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, okay, um, the Lord got all way and do that thing. I'm going to have to put some problems in here for him. And so he, he, the, the curse is God's problems to bring us back to him. So you're never just the curse. Eventually you're aware of it. It's just, you know, and the, there's problems and there's difficulty. And in order for you to, for you to come to this place where you're willing to die yourself, you have to actually come to a place where you let the problems face them. Don't let them ask them. Face them. Now, this is not you just going into depression. This is you recognizing, you know, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. He that hated his life shall save him. Because when you go into a grace, you say, no, oh, I don't want my life to I don't live without him. I don't live without the joy of the world. I don't live without the blessing of the Spirit. You know? When you come to the place where what happens then is that, that you keep it. And that's the thing. God is a giver, not a taker. So that when he asks you to give something, he's always got something better for you in mind. His very nature is to give. So that when you decide, you're going, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to give my life to him. Lord, you can, have a, do, you can do whatever you like. Or I'm going to die to myself. All my dreams, forget them. Lord, I want you in your way. What God's going to do in your life is always going to be better. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not problem-free. But it's better. You've got to stop trying to make it happen yourself and come to the place where you yield it to him. Verse 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there, all, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, where's Jesus going when he says this? From John chapter 12. John chapter 12, John chapter 13, John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. He's on his way to the cross. These are days we're talking about now. We're not, we're, not, we're not looking at weeks even now. We're just looking at days. He's on his way to the cross. If any man serve me where I am, there shall my servant be. You and I got to understand this, that if we're looking for a free ticket to a happy life, we're not going to have it with Christ. 
But if we're looking for something deeper, if we're ever looking for something richer, something that's much more, he says, if you hate your life, if you're willing to put away what you want and do it my way, you'll have difficulties, but I will give you abundance. I'll give you a life that's real. I'll give you a life in a cursed world that is not unaffected by the curse, but that lives above the curse. That's the plan. It's a, it's a, it's a radical plan. It's an amazing plan. But it's, but it's living above it. Living so that you can actually enjoy him uh, in the midst of it all. Um, <clears throat> now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour came I unto, for, but for this cause came I unto this hour. What am I going to say? Father, save me? Do you know there's going to be times in your life, in spite of the abundance, that you're going to say, oh no. You want to face that. But you know what? It's all part of his plan. And that's the joy of it. That when you give up living for yourself and start living for him, his plan kicks in and it's him working in you. It's him changing you. That's a great plan. So what's it going to be? A little corn of wheat in the glass case on the mantelpiece? Or are you going to give it to him? Say goodbye. It's his. And accept what he will give you back, which will always be better. Any questions? Deep stuff, rich stuff, real stuff. So get your head around this and you enter into something that is just sweet and wonderful and powerful. All right, let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We do thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask you, would you bless us tonight, Lord? Lord, we are your children. And you know how we struggle, Lord. You know how our hearts find it so hard to yield ourselves to you and to give ourselves to you. But Lord, would you bless this people tonight and let your spirit rest upon us, Lord. May there be moments tonight, Lord, before people close their eyes, Lord, where a surrender of self is made and a, and a yielding to you. And Lord, may there be a, a joy and a blessing of walking with you and knowing your presence and your power. Oh, Lord, bring the sweetness into our lives, the sweetness of Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.